0: Good morning, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, Far above all rule and authority, the power and dominion, and above every name that is the named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, thank you so much for um this holiday weekend, God, um, and Lord, I thank you for everyone that is here today, God, um, and Lord, I pray that um, you use Kevin to um, bring the word to us, God, and um, let our, our hearts be open to what you have for us to learn today, God. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, amen. Good morning. Good uh, morning. Glad to see many of you here this morning. Um, congratulations to the Gators last night. Yeah, so, um, by, by the way, just so you guys know, um, I can tell some of you guys are excited. I can tell a lot of you guys are really tired. Um, if you've got a friend who's not here this morning because they overslept, send them a text, say, God still loves you. And Kevin's sermon will be podcasted if you want to listen to it. You can feel free to let them know that as well. Uh, before I could tell from the box score, I didn't get a chance to actually watch the game. Uh, my wife and I were hanging out after pretty much watching sports from 7.30 a.m. till about 7 p.m. last night. So she was like, we're done. Not, not, not anymore. And so in um, and, and, and my university, um, we lost to NC State yesterday. So uh, that's okay. We weren't supposed to win. It's okay. And then the other school I went to, WVU, thrashed the volunteers. Um, so you're welcome gators, right? Um, but for those of you guys that weren't here last week, uh, first of all my name's Kevin I 'm one of the pastors here. appreciate you guys being here, but uh, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, welcome back for those of you that were here last week we're glad to see you. Um, I, I know that anytime you, you you tend to tackle topics like uh, predestination or election and free will, uh, there's always kind of this 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 you know, inkling in the back of my mind, like, well, is like, was anybody gonna come back? We talked about things that were, like, really, really difficult to, to, to think through and process through, so we're glad you guys in here, are here this morning, but in, in all seriousness, um, I hope for those of you guys that were here last week uh, that you found God's word encouraging, and you took a few things away, right? And, 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 and what I would hope that you took away is this. Uh, God chose you, if you are a follower of Christ. And in that choosing, his declaration over you is that he loves you. That he chose you and loved you before the foundations of the world. And so as a follower of Jesus, this is the root of our identity. That, that the Father has chosen to adopt us and he loves us. And because of that, that love motivates us to live unto him that that oftentimes we can kind of get lost in this, this daze and confusion of what it means to be a Christian, especially if we've grown up in the church over any particular uh, season or for any length of time. And so what can happen to us is we start turning our identity and the way that we follow God into a list of do's and don'ts. And What we saw last week is Paul starts off his letter to the church at Ephesus just by saying this, hey, God loves you. And he chose you before the foundations of the earth. And there's nothing that you can do to change that love because he chose to do it, not because of any merit in you, but because he chooses to love you for his sake and his glory. And so I want to start this morning's text off with a question, and, and if you guys would interact with me as I ask this question, that would be great, because last week I asked a question, and I got a bunch of uh, blank stares on, on your faces. So, so feel free to respond when I ask this question, but how many of you guys wear contacts, glasses, or have had some sort of corrective eye surgery? Okay, about, about a third to a half of you. Okay, now, of you guys that have had you know, glasses or some sort of corrective work done with your eyes, how many of you guys would be blind without that corrective work? Okay, mo- most of you guys. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, why are you wearing glasses or contacts? Unsure of why. But a couple of months ago, I was in Memphis for um, a church planner cohort, and at about an hour into the meeting on the second day, um, the room just started turning black for me. It was, it was like this, just this really, really strange experience. And So here I am sitting in this room of people, and we're all supposed to be learning and, and reading things and bouncing ideas off of one another, talking through things, and I'm sitting there like, I'm going blind, like literally right, like right now. As, as we sit in this room, I am going blind. This, this is not good. This is not good. And so it, it, it was so strange because things would come in and out of focus Um, i couldn't read the words that were on the paper in front of me it was all just you know like it was like looking underwater and i started to notice um, about about an hour into this that if i closed my left eye and kept it closed things would start coming back into focus that that there was nothing wrong with my right eye but my left eye was completely in the dark I, I probably had about 20% of my field of vision in this in this left eye, and and as it turns out, you know I have an HMO, so I didn't go to the doctor while I was up there, much to my wife's disappointment and anger. But uh, you know, so you know, I got back on the plane and flew back after a couple days. So if there had been a serious issue by my left eye, but so so I get back on the plane, I get back to Gainesville, and I go see my doctor, and he gets me into the doctor's office right away. I have to go see this specialist, and this specialist, you know, dilates my eyes and looks into there, and she's like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, you've got this 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 condition." where your, your blood vessels have a hole in them and, and you've got water laying on the back of your eyes. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's why I feel like I'm looking underwater then because I am, it's just inside my eye instead of me being underneath the water. So, so I go in Tuesday for surgery this week, hopefully to fix that, but I share all of this for one reason. Sight is extremely important. Uh, of all the senses that 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 God has given us in creation i would i would argue that sight may be the most important especially if like me you've lived your entire life with 2020 vision and then all of a sudden you can't see anything that, that we rely on sight for so many different things. And so I realized not being able to see when you are, cu- are accustomed to being able to see that life gets a lot more difficult, that the adjustments in the way I was gonna have to respond to life around me was difficult. I, I couldn't participate in the, the conference and cohort that I was at because I couldn't read what was on the pages in front of me. I couldn't even make out who was talking half the time. And so I share this this morning because Paul in our text here in Ephesians 1 is going to share that his primary concern for the church of Ephesus, as, he, as he's laying out kind of these theological truths like he did last week, he's gonna pause and he's gonna say, okay, here is the theology of what God has done for you. Now I'm gonna stop and before we go any further, I'm going to pray for you. In the, in the middle of a letter, he says this is one long sentence. Everything we're reading this morning is just one long sentence. Paul breaks every grammar rule you English teachers have ever seen in your life. Right? He says, I'm going to pray this over you that you would see the reality of what we've just shared that God has done all of this for you and we're going to ask that God would make this happen. So so look at Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 15. He says, "For this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints." I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So, so look at how Paul transitions. Right. Last week, right, we talked about predestination and election and God's choosing of us. And in that choosing, he seals us with the Holy Spirit, promising that we are his and we are adopted. And then Paul transitions when we get to verse 15. It says, for this reason, meaning because of God's love for us and because God has chosen out these men and women at the church of Ephesus for this reason, because of God's riches and love towards us in Christ, he rejoices over them as a church. He says, I, I'm I, I just well with excitement thinking about what God is, is doing in your lives. And then what does he immediately do? He doesn't instruct them in more theological uh, jargon or information he doesn't instruct them to start an inductive Bible study centered around systematic theology. No, look at what he does. He prays for them, and he and he prays some very specific things over them. Right? Look, look at look at what he prays for. He says, "I I pray that that God would one give you a spirit of wisdom." Two, that, that he would give you revelation in the knowledge of him. And three, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Let me, let me read that fully, right? He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. See, so me. Does anybody find this interesting? He says that I pray you would grow in your knowledge of God and His love for you, but He doesn't give them further instruction in that knowledge. Right? He's he's making this assumption that everything they need to know about God and His love for them, He had just explained in, in the in the previous you know thirteen verses. And so he realizes something as he's, he's writing to the church at Ephesus that I think we really struggle with as Christians in the West. So if you're a Christian this morning, I would imagine that on some level you've struggled or wrestled with this. And that's the, that's the reality that it is possible to know a lot of facts about God and Jesus but never actually know him. That it's possible to know all these different stories and all the theology in the world, but to never really truly know who God is. If if you've ever done any sort of like studying of the Greek in in the New Testament, you'll you'll find that there's two words for knowledge in the Greek, okay? The first one is this Greek word oida, and, and it basically just means, you know, facts, like finding out facts or knowledge. So yeah, there, I, I know for a fact that the Gators won last night because it was on my phone this morning when I checked the box score. But the word that Paul uses for knowledge here in Ephesians chapter 1 is this, this, this second word that's used a little bit more frequently by Paul, especially in regards to talking about knowledge of God and knowing him, and it's the Greek word ginosko. And it means to gain knowledge of something through feeling or experience. Meaning that the type of knowledge that Paul says we must all come to as, as we grow in a, in a relationship with God is knowing him beyond a list of facts and theological, theological treatises and, and instead right, knowing him on a personal level knowing who he is, what he's done, and how we respond to that. Uh, in, in, the, in the NAS uh, Greek lexicon, when, when defining that word gnosko, they, they took me back when I was studying this past week and said that, the, that if you look in the Hebrew, that, that this word gnosko is akin to the Hebrew idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman you ever read in the Old Testament somewhere and you see that so-and-so took so-and-so as his wife and he knew her? He's, He's not talking about getting her ID. right? He's talking about knowing her in a personal, intimate way that can only come through this idea of marriage and intercourse. That his knowledge and his coming together with her goes far beyond, hey, I know her name. I know what color her eyes are that you know her on this profoundly deep level. and So Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, I am praying that you would come to a place where you don't just know facts about God, you don't just understand theology, that you don't just know the, the biblical story of what happened on the cross, but where you come to a felt experience of God's goodness and love towards you. To where you would know the magnitude of God's love beyond just a head knowledge, but to a heart knowledge. Only in that knowledge, that gnosco of God, will you know where your identity lies. Only there. The honest truth is that many of us in here this morning might be professing followers of Jesus but we're barely hanging on we've long grown bored and tired of the same old routines in Christianity that we've experienced over the last 10 15 20 years and every time we come to church we 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 realize this this rut we realize this 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 felt feeling that we experience and so we come to church looking for some sort of fresh experience in worship that's going to reinvigorate us or help us rediscover who we are in Jesus or we expect the, the church to come alongside us to give us some new information that might open up our eyes to who God is and help restore maybe that initial feeling that we had of God's love for us. And Paul says this, you don't need your thinking reinvented you and I need our eyes open to God and what he has done for us. That we need God to pull back the spiritual blinders of our eyes and allow us to see him fully. And and, and the issue with that, right, as I'm saying all this, right, as as I'm saying, hey, here's what we need, right? We need our spiritual blinders pulled back and we need God to do this. And so the question is, well, wait a minute, what role do I play in it? What do I do? How do I I get there? How do I get that joy back? How do I get that wonder of my identity and God back? And it's pretty simple, right? We do what Paul does here in Ephesians 1. We ask God to open our eyes. We ask God to reveal to us, right, a spirit of wisdom we ask God to reveal to us a revelation in knowing him and knowing him more fully. And then we ask God that he would open the eyes of our heart and enlighten us. And so the question is, okay, what, what do we ask God for? Are there specific things that we ask God to do when we ask him to open our eyes? And so the rest of our time this morning is we're going to be looking at four specific things that Paul says that we can pray for and pray over for others and asking God to open our eyes. it's, It's as if we're asking God to awaken things and allow us to see things fully. And so let's look at verses 18 through 23. It says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, so Paul lists there as he's as he's praying for their eyes to be of their heart to be enlightened. He kind of prays four things to be brought into reality for them. He says, hey, look, the, he, here are four things that, that I know will kind of awaken you to the knowledge of God, to, where you might experience his joy and know him fully. And so that ver- the first one comes in verse 18. He says that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So that first one, the first thing he prays over the church at Ephesus, he says, the first thing that that we should be asking God to kind of reveal to us and uh, aliven us to is to the hope to which he has called us. Right? Paul says that I am praying that your eyes would be opened to a godly hope a hope that can only come from knowing him. Now, here's, here's the deal. We, we love, as human beings, to talk about hope. Right? And, I, and I know this to be true, and I know it works, because back in 2008, I'm fairly confident that Barack Obama won off that tagline. People were just so excited about that. And I don't, I don't, I'm not making a, a, a political statement here, but people were super excited because guess what Barack Obama brought? When he spoke to the country, when he would stand before them, he would say, hey look, we we have hope. There is hope that things are gonna change and I'm gonna be the one to lead us in that change. As that, we said, and uh, America just jumped behind that. I mean, there was artwork everywhere talking about hope and all these different things. like. As, as a people, right, we rally around this idea of hope, right? How many, how many of you guys hoped that the Gators would drop 50 points last night, right? Like, like five or six of you. The rest of you guys, you don't care. You just wanted to win. You're, you're that depressed over the previous five years. You're like, just a win. I'll, God, I'll do anything just to win, right? And there's a few of you in here that are like, no, no, I, I don't want just a win. I want a thrashing, I want the points to rain down like manna from the skies and may it never end, right? And so, so a few of you guys, now for those of you guys that raised your hand and were hoping that the Gears would drop 50 points last night, in that hope, how many of you guys believe that would actually happen? Like there's one of you. One person in this room raised their hands that they, that they hoped it would happen and they actually believed that it was gonna happen. right? When, when Paul is talking about hope here, when he's saying, hey, hey I, 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 I am praying that your eyes will be opened to the hope of, of him which has ca- who has called you. He's, he's not talking about you're hoping that something might happen, but he's talking about a godly hope resting in something that you look forward to because you know it is going to happen. It'd be like walking into the stadium last night and being like, I don't even really need to be here tonight because I know we're dropping 50. Right? Paul is saying that when you know God as your father and the hope that is in the calling to which he has called you, your identity is rooted in the promises that Paul declared last week that you are loved, that you are forgiven, that you have a purpose in life which is to make much of God your creator, that God delights in you, and in that delight, our good is for his glory. That is is the hope that has been promised to anyone who has ever professed to be a follower of Jesus. God loves you. He forgives you. You have purpose that you live life unto him and for his glory and that he delights in you because he chooses to delight in you. Paul says the the only way that we, we grow and, and, and see our felt experience and knowledge of God increase is that we see and experience that hope and that we ask God to make that hope real and alive within us. And when that happens, life becomes not just about living the American dream and, and getting a great job and having a great family, but it becomes about leveraging your time and your resources here on earth to make much of him. And you see his promises and you believe them. And as you are lifted up and become more hopeful, you experience his faithfulness to those promises. And in experiencing that faithfulness, guess what continues to increase? Your knowledge and your hope. my my, my pastor and mentor from up in Virginia, he's in in his mid-60s now, and and whenever he would be sharing with the gospel with somebody, especially college students, he used to have this line, and he would say, hey, look, here's here's the deal. Kevin's been a Christian for two, three, four, five years. I've been a Christian for over 50 years now. And as I've grown in him, and I've seen God's love declared, and I've trusted in it, and I've trusted in him, I'm not guessing anymore whether he really loves me or not. I'm not guessing whether he really loves his church. I'm not guessing whether Jesus really came and died so that I might be reconciled to the Father. Because he had prayed and seen and experienced a godly hope that only comes through knowing him. So that first thing Paul Paul tells us to to pray over is just ask God to make this hope real to us. Now, look at what he says next. Not only are we to, to, to rest in the hope to which he has called us, but look at what he says next in verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So if the first thing that Paul prays over them is that they might have their eyes opened up to the hope they have in him, the second thing he prays over them is that they might know the value God places on them. He says, what are the riches of his? That's God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, if you don't know what a saint is, a saint means those who are saved and know Jesus as Lord, Christians. That's, that's a saint. So, so here in verse 18, who is God's inheritance? Us. Right? The church. Right? Those, those that know him. Do you, do you see what Paul's saying here? God wants you. Do you you ever stop and pause and think about that for a minute? God could have done any number of things when Adam and Eve disobeyed and rebelled. He could have done anything. He could have done any number of things, and yet he chose to rescue and redeem the human race with quite possibly the craziest rescue plan of all time. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus suffered for the joy that was set before him. That joy was rescuing you and I. Rescuing you you and I out of our deadness to sin and being made alive together with God. Paul says to know God is to continually having him reveal to you how much you are worth to him how important and valuable you are to God. And knowing this gives you a foundation that cannot be shaken. Right, Go over to Romans chapter eight with me. Right, When, when, when Paul is, is talking about our value to God and how, how much God loves us and promises to keep us, look at how he describes it starting in verse 38 of Romans chapter eight. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our lord right christian you are so valuable to god that he gave the life of his only son and nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. Like, how could I know? It's been demonstrated on the cross. Right? What Jesus did is a fact of human history. And in that act, right, God was demonstrating his love towards you and how much he values you. Right? I, was, I was thinking through this, I was like, how, like, what is the difference between me being told that you're loved and actually experiencing that love? And, and being a father, I get to experience some of this right, in a way that some of you guys won't get to experience until your parents one day. Right? But I tell Gideon and I tell Josiah all the time, like, you know, Daddy loves you. Right? And, and, and they can, they can you know, I can say that until I'm blue in the face, and, and, and they hear it, but they may not know it. But for Gideon in particular, right, the way that I demonstrate that I love him is by spending time with him. I, I, you know, more than anything in this world, that's what he wants. He wants to hang out and be with dad. You know, When I, when I, when I was talking to him earlier in the week, he's like, hey dad, what, what day are you taking off this week? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm taking off Saturday. His face just lit up. Because that was his day off of school, and dad was going to be able to spend the day with him. And he knew that dad loved him because dad prioritized that time of being able to be with him. And we didn't do anything super exciting. We watched sports together and played a made-up baseball game in our living room for about three hours in the afternoon. There's no score. There's no rules. You just smack the ball as hard as you can whenever it's thrown at you. And he's just having this great time And and if someone hits a home run off you too many times, you throw the ball right at their head just like all great baseball players do. Right? Gideon knows that I love him in the way that I demonstrate that love by valuing him and spending time with him. And God has demonstrated the value he places on you because he sent his only son to die on the cross in your place for your sins and to rise again. And guys, I I pray that God would allow us to experience and see the cross, not just in a knowledge of something that happened as a historical fact, but to feel it, knowing that God just didn't do that to make some sort of philosophy line up, but because he values you and he loves you. This, this, this isn't about getting the gospel facts right. This is about knowing the depth of God's love and value for you. And so Paul says, look, look, church, I'm I'm praying this over you because I love you and I want God to just open up your eyes to the the magnitude of who God is, right? The, The hope that you have in him, the value that he places on you. And then look at what he says next, that he desires for them to know, starting in verse 19 So the third thing he, he prays over them, right? That they, he, he says I, I, that you would know the hope that you have in God that's unshakable, that you would know of the value God places on you and that you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of you that believe. He wants us to know how powerful and see how powerful God is. Now, you don't need to raise your hand to, for this question, but I want you to think about this for a second how many of you have ever wrestled with these questions before? How how could God love me? And and, and asking that question, how could God love me? If God does love me, how could he possibly rescue me? How could he possibly rescue me out of the mire and the muck that my life is sometimes? Like, Like when I think about who I am, in light of God's holiness. And I and I do some self-examination and I say, "Okay, Kevin, look, look over your life and examine it before God and who he is." I'm pretty messed up. Like some of you guys have known me long enough to see me at my worst. And that's what I show you on the outside. It's, my heart sometimes is 10 times darker than that and so i sit there i think like like how in the world could god undo what i've done how how in the world could god rescue and transform me from who i know myself to be and paul says it's easy right his <laughs> it's simple really if you if you wrestle and struggle with that question it's because you are not fully seeing the power of who God is look look at look at what he prays for them to see right, i'm going to i'm going to read it slowly and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when what When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. We know the power of God when we know the power of the resurrection. I I I think about Paul sharing specifically, right, the resurrection there. Because he he clearly wants the church at Ephesus who who may be wrestling with the very same things I wrestle with, right? This 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 inadequacy, this inability to change and transform. When he he tells them to gaze upon God and the power of God, he could have used so many things there, right? So many different examples, right? He could have used creation. I mean, think about that. Right? Just like he God spoke the universe into existence. Right? Life exists because God spoke it into, into being. Like he said, like, hey, when, when you think about needing to know the power of God, right, think about the sun being spoken into existence, the, the power source for our, for our solar system. Think, think about God speaking the atmosphere into existence, which I'm really thankful for. Think about all these things that he could have done. He could could have said, "Hey, hey, look at the power that God displayed in the flood. Look at the power God displayed in the raining of fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He could have listed all these different examples of God's power, and yet what does he point out? The resurrection. And I think Paul's really, really intentional about doing that here. Because as you and I wrestle internally with, is, is, is God enough? Is God enough to help me overcome my addiction? Is God over, good enough and powerful enough to help me overcome this struggle or season that I'm walking through? Is God good enough and powerful enough to walk me through and be better than my suffering or my broken relationships or this deep hurt that I've experienced from my childhood that I just can't seem to shake as I head into adulthood? Is is God powerful enough? And Paul shares the resurrection because if there was a time in Scripture where God didn't seem to be in power and in control, where was it? The cross. The cross. All of Israel stared and looked upon Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was gonna come and rescue them. And here is disciples through all this time and energy behind Jesus, and all of a sudden, this guy who was gonna rescue them is dead. (laughs) And they're like, wait wait, wait a minute, right? We we read the Old Testament prophecies. We read what God promised to do for us. What, what, What is going on here? And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead so that God might display his power over everything. If God can bring the dead to life, your sin and addiction is nothing for his power. Nothing. Right? if, if I, Guys, I've been in ministry long enough, and I know I'm young, but I've been in ministry long enough to see enough people battle with various addictions and issues. And their issue is almost always tied to a lack of belief in God's ability to rescue them. Right, when you, when you struggle with addiction and, and live in shame and suffering, what you are communicating to yourself is God's not big enough to handle this. Because he rose Jesus from the grave. There is nothing that he cannot do because God isn't dealing with self-help. He doesn't give us a road map to spiritual healing. Jesus died and was raised to display God's power over everything. Sin, addiction, cancer, suffering, all of it. Jesus is powerful and reigning over all of it. Church, if, if we knew, and I don't mean know and be able to, you know, memorize some verses. If we knew and felt and experienced fully The power of God and knew our identity belonged to Him and the power residing over us, we would see deadness brought to life constantly. And when people start tapping into that and God starts revealing that to them and they see it, I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen Him heal cancer, I've seen Him heal marriages. I've seen him pull people out of addictions to sex and pornography and drugs and alcohol. I've seen God rescue people from the grips of death. And I've seen him do it even in my own life because he is powerful and he is able so as Paul prays that we might experience this power, he says, church, pray that God would open your eyes to see the hope that you have in him. Pray that he might allow you to see the value he places over you. Pray that God might allow you to see the magnitude of his power. And then look at what he says here in verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The last thing he prays that they'll see is God's authority. That he is ruling and reigning and all things are subject to him. Guys, I I don't know if this is going to be a newsflash with what I'm about to say to you this morning. Okay, so if it is, get excited. God is not dead. Jesus is alive. Has anybody ever heard someone say that that statement? Right, I'm not going to sing that song that's really popular on the radio for you guys right now. One, because I can't sing, and two, it's kind of cheesy. By the way, if you like that song, it's okay. You're allowed to like it. I'm just going to poke fun at you just a little bit. But here's here's the reality. Have anybody ever heard somebody make this statement? Oh, Jesus would be ashamed of what he sees the church doing or he would be so disappointed in what's going on. You ever notice that language? Guys, Jesus isn't dead. He's aware of everything. It's not like Jesus is like, man, I really hope the church gets this right today. If if I just had some power and authority given to me, I might be aware of what's going on. He is fully in control. Like, like look at the language there. And he put all things, okay? Does everybody know what that means? That means everything, okay? He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to who? The church. Who's the church? Us. Us. He is in authority, and God gives him to us to lead us. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. If Jesus is in control and ruling and reigning, he's not done with you, he's in control of all things, and he's working that through his bride, the church. This, this, by the way, guys, this right here is why I love the church so much. And, and I don't just mean Aletheia Church, but I mean the church, Big C, the church. This, this means, by the way, if you understand this, if Jesus is in authority and ruling and reigning over all things and working that rule and that reign through his church, guess what that means? It means that the most important organization— you could ever be a part of is a local church, ever. More important than your society of engineers or whatever group you're a part of over at the university. More important than your job. More important than what school you belong to or where your favorite sports team affiliation is or the biking or running club that you're a part of or whatever group, right, that you attach yourself to for community. What is being communicated here is that the most important group you could ever be involved with and serve in and grow grow in is the local church because Jesus is ruling and reigning and all things are under his feet and he gave the father gave him Jesus as head of the church meaning Jesus is reconciling all things to the father through the church it matters guys it matters, gathering together to sing and worship and study God's word and to pray and to be there for one another and to share the gospel together and to do these things unto the glory of God, to repent a sin, to partake in communion. All the things that the church does that sometimes we don't even understand is all done so that we might see him, have a greater picture of him and to God's glory grow together and fellowship and unity to make much of him. The church is how God is building his kingdom and that hope and, that, and seeing that value and seeing his power and his authority should be most fully put on display visibly by the church because that is where God has promised he's going to do it. This doesn't mean I don't like your campus ministry. For those of you guys that have been around here a, a while, we love campus ministries. We want you to be a part of them and we want you to maximize your time with them. But we also want you to be vitally connected to a local church in your time here in Gainesville because it is how God is moving and working to save people and redeem them and bring them to himself so that a greater worship of him might be seen. So here, here's how I want to end our time today. If we, if we can go ahead and get uh, Diego to come back up here, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna play a little music, just have a little bit of instrumental song. If I can get the lights turned down, here, here's how I want to end our time this morning. Right, it's the the text this morning is so clear and so simple as opposed to what we looked at last week, right? Right. If we understand. That one of the biggest things we can do is just admit, hey, we don't have it all together and we need to pray and ask God to see him more clearly. That we might see the the hope that has been laid up for us in the promises of God. That we might see the value God has placed on us. That we would pray to God that he might help us to see the power that resides in him and that we might see that he is ruling and reigning with authority until he returns again. Here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. I'm gonna pray and I'm just gonna spend some time, right, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer. If you're, if you're, if you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, my prayer for you is that this morning, God will have revealed to you what he has done for you in Jesus Christ. That he sent his only son to die on the cross in your place for your rebellion towards God so that you might be forgiven and redeemed and loved and adopted. And then, as I lead us in this time of prayer, if you're a Christian here this morning and a part of this church, I'm gonna lead us to pray over each one of these individual areas. And I'm gonna pray aloud that God might do something and then I'm gonna sit here quietly and pray some specific things over my heart and I would invite you to do the same that in that particular area or arena that, that, that God might awaken you to see the hope that he's laid up for you, to, to see the value that he, he places on you, to see the power of what he has done, and then to, to trust in his authority as he rules and reigns. And after, after we're finished praying, Right? If you're a Christian, I invite you to come up and take communion. We celebrate communion every week here as a church. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're coming up here, right? Saying, God, thank you that you sent your only son to pour out his flesh and blood for us so that I might be forgiven of my sins. And this isn't an act of penance or contrition, but it's an act of worship. That as you take communion, you're worshiping God, believing that what Jesus did was sufficient to forgive you for all your sins, past, present, and future, and make you alive to God. And then as we finish up taking communion, might you return to your seat and sing and make much of Him and leave here today, praying each and every day that God might illuminate this for you. Here's the reality, guys. I've given you some knowledge this morning, right? We've opened up God's word and we've talked about it. But only God can move it from here to here. But I've been walking with him long enough to know that if you ask him, he is faithful. And that if we ask him to move and allow us to see these things come to life and fruition in our lives, he will be faithful to do so. And you will come to a greater knowledge of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for the the men and women who are here this morning to worship and know you. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to see you. And so Father, first and foremost, reveal to us and enlighten our hearts to see the hope which you have laid up for us. God, and in seeing that hope, might our affections for you grow and our knowledge of you increase and in seeing that hope Father would you meet us and help us to see the value you've placed on us the value in how much you love us that you did not even hold on to your son but you gave him freely to rescue us seeing that value and knowing who we are is not defined by what we do but who you say we are and the love you lavish on us god In seeing that value and living that out father help us to believe and know that we can be transformed because of your power help us to see that power to the power that you are working around us all the time the power that is rescuing and redeeming and saving people daily that is transforming lives and bringing people out of addiction and despair and sin and death allow us to see that and experience it so that we might worship you and Father in that power help us to see and know where the authority of that power lies Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, as you reveal to us the hope that you've laid up for us, and as you increasingly reveal to us the magnitude of what you've done so we can see how much you value us, and as you display your glory and power to us over all things, Lord, may we continue to see and trust in that authority that you display. There is nothing in heaven on earth that moves without God first saying, that's okay. There's no situation, there's no suffering, there's nothing that is done without God allowing it to be so. And may we see that, and Father, enlighten our hearts to see and trust in your perfect will and your authority. Lord, help us to find our identity in you. And in that identity, For the rest of our days, Lord, until we see you face-to-face, might you be revealing these things to us every day, every minute, so we might behold your glory and trust in you. Father, I pray this for me. I pray this for everyone here and even those that couldn't be here this morning. May we worship you with our lives. And God, you are so good. Thank you that you are faithful. I'm excited to see what you're going to do as we see a greater picture of you. And I ask all of these things in Jesus' name.